0: As we come to chapter 15, we pick it up from where we were last week, topically in chapter 14, where it talked about the fr- fruits of the ties of all the increase and that God's going to bless you and we're going to learn to trust in the Lord, we're going to fear the Lord through our giving, we're going to rejoice in our giving, and we're going to focus on the Levites, the, the stranger, the fatherless, the widow, and all these things that said that the Lord may bless you. So there's a, for them in their context of their covenant, there's a blessing upon them Remember, for the Jews, the key signs of their covenant were the Sabbath day and the tide. Neither one of those are signs of the covenant for the church. The signs of the covenant for us are water baptism and the communion elements. But, of course, the principles are always there for us. And so we know in the New Testament that God is a cheerful giver and we give as we purpose. And that uh, he who sows bountifully will reap bountifully. He who or she who sows sparingly will reap sparingly. And, of course, we're a very generous church. So praise the Lord for that. Now, as we come forward in the text, these next couple chapters that we study verse by verse on Tuesday night, it continues that thought process. So these are, this is our primary topic of how we treat others and look toward others. And what's interesting about that text last week is it really was before the Lord, like the tithe is to the Lord and, and to just giving is unto the Lord. And remember when Jesus was asked about the two great, the greatest commandment, he said to love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. That's vertical, we love him because he first loved us. And then the second commandment is you shall love your neighbor as yourself because we already love ourselves, And if we can love our neighbor as much as ourself, then we'll be doing just great in fulfilling God's plan and design for his word, law, of the Old Testament, being fulfilled by grace and the Holy Spirit through being a disciple of Christ in the New Testament. And as we come to chapter 15, we shift sort of from that vertical, the tithe, to the horizontal and how we treat other people. And so I remind you that the last verse in chapter 14 said that the Lord your God may bless you in all the work of your hand, which you do. So we keep the Lord first in all things, our time, our energy, and our resources. He is our everything. And with that background, it just rolls into chapter 15. So we pick it up contextually for the Jews with lots of application for anyone confessing Christ as Lord and Savior. Verse 1 of chapter 15 reads like this. At the end of every seven years, you shall grant a release of debt. And this is the form of the release. Every creditor who has lent anything to his neighbor shall release it. He shall not require it of his neighbor or his brother, because it is called the Lord's release. Of a foreigner you may require it, but you shall give up your claim of what is owed by your brother, except when there may be no poor among you. For the Lord will greatly bless you in the land which the Lord your God has given you to possess as an inheritance only if you carefully obey the voice of the Lord your God to observe with care all these commandments which I command you today. For the Lord your God will bless you just as he promised you. You shall lend to many nations, but you shall not borrow. You shall reign over many nations, but they shall not reign over you. This is the first segment of scripture tonight. We're going to read. There's three of them, and I want to talk on application immediately uh, as we go. So I'm not going to read them all at once but incrementally as we go so we really feel the uh, the heart and the pulse of them. So my title tonight is that then the Lord God will bless you because when we finish up tonight in the last verse will say that then the Lord your God will bless you in all that you do which is a slight distinction because previously that last verse of chapter 14 said That the Lord your God may bless you in all the work of your hands which you do. But if we do the three things we're going to look at tonight, it says here that then the Lord God will bless you in all that you do. So that he may is what we saw last week and that then he will is what we see this week. And the first of these three things that deal horizontally, that is human being to human being for them in the context, was to the, the Lord's release once every seven years. I think we'd all appreciate a Lord's release once every seven years, wouldn't we? I mean, maybe your mom's billed you out once or twice, or your dad, or a distant relative. Maybe there's a, a small inheritance that somehow came your way and kind of got you out of dodge or, you know, a little bit of trouble. The Lord's release every seven years is a beautiful thing. It kept people from being greedy who could lend out money because they knew they could only give it out to them for seven years. It was not paid back. It's the Lord's release. That's just the way it is. But if you caught this when we read this passage, they're reminded that when they go into the land, everything they have is from the Lord. Did you catch that? The inheritance from the Lord that he's given you. So it's like, let's say we all are in a trust, the Lord's trust, and the the trust goes into effect when the person has stepped into eternity. So Jesus is resurrected and we're in his trust. And if he He's given us every spiritual blessing in Christ Jesus, but let's just say we all had a, a certain sum. Let's say we all have $100,000 that the Lord gave us. Because for the nation of Israel, he said you're going to have wells you didn't dig for your water supply. You're going to have groves of figs that you didn't plant, vineyards that you didn't plant, and you're going to receive all this. And so the 12 tribes, Joseph sub, the tribe of Joseph uh, subdivided, Manasseh and Ephraim, Levites spread out through everybody. We've studied that. They have a large territory. And so you could be like Naboth you know, they're in in Kings, Naboth's vineyard. When Ahab wanted his vineyard, he goes, it's my vineyard. God gave it to my father, my grandfather, my great-grandfather. And I'm not selling it. It's not for sale. And he would say like, this is what the Lord gave me. And it's like, so if we receive this, we didn't earn it. So we didn't have a business model or a plan. We didn't get really smart at Cal State Fullerton or something, or, you know, GCU, whatever, and figure out how to make this happen. We received it, the trust was open, here's $100,000, whatever, and we're thriving, and we're in a place where we can bless people. And so, like, yeah, I can loan Uncle Ernie this money or Aunt Sue that money, and, and we do this or that, or, you know, my brother, and yeah, they're. What happened to your inheritance? Well, they mismanage it, but people always mismanage stuff, right? Isn't there always a relative that mismanages money? Come on now, right? So, anyways, you'd say, "All right, I'm going to do this for you." But you would know when you gave it to them because they're your brethren that after seven years you have to release it anyway. So, if you want to give them three thousand or five thousand or ten thousand or fifty thousand, they're desperate. They had come into you know they had health bills they didn't anticipate, right? They didn't have money for a rainy day, as John Wooden used to say. Uh, they just hard times came and they were hung out to dry. And you're going to loan them money. Well, first of all, when they're loaning the money, you would know like. You didn't make this money. This estate was given to you by the Lord. And see, again, this goes back to last week's study. If we realize everything we have is because of the Lord, our Father who art in heaven, hallowed be your name, uh, your kingdom come, your will be done, on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread. John the Baptist said it best when he said, a man can receive nothing unless it comes from above. So everything we have is already the Lord's. It's all going to be redistributed. And I've been saying this, anyone who listened to me, we're all out of here in 90 years, one way or another. And everything we own our land, our houses, our cars, our estate, our gold, our silver, whatever, it's gonna all be re- redistributed by the time you're gone. There's a good chance your great grandkids or your grandkids won't even it won't even be there. We leave the assets and the wealth stays behind. Most people think it goes with them somehow, and they're deceived. That's why we're told of the deceitfulness of riches that they deceive us. In the context here. They are told and reminded, whatever you get in that promised land, you receive it as an inheritance from the Lord. Therefore, be generous with it and so bountifully. And if you want to help someone out, you help them out. But know this, in seven years, it's the Lord's release. It's the Lord's release. Well, you know, Uncle Ernie mismanaged it, Aunt Sue mismanaged it, whatever. It it doesn't matter. It was the Lord's in the first place. If you know it's from the Lord and they don't pay you back, then that's between them and the Lord. You got to let it go. After seven years, you just got to let it go. This is the context for Israel. Just let it go. Uh, but, you know, like, they, this, they did this 14 years ago to my mother. Well, And she had to let it go. Because what your mother had came from the Lord as well. Did you dig those wells? No. Did you plant those vineyards? No. Did you receive it from the Lord? Like the cross? Like grace? Like freely forgiven? One who's forgiven much uh, is in kind to forgive others much? Or did you earn it somehow? Oh, that's the perspective we need to have as believers in Christ, that everything we have comes from the Lord, and it's all the Lord's. And if we feel led to let it go, let it go. But we've said this before. The the church is never a savings and loan, and we've had people want to borrow money from the church. It's like, no, this doesn't doesn't work like that. You know, that's what... uh, That's what Wells Fargo's for, or schools first. You know, like, that's not what we do, all right? If we feel led to meet this need, we'll meet it. Now, when I was on staff at Calvary Costa Mesa with Pastor Chuck 20 years ago, people would come around looking for money all the time at Calvary Costa Mesa. And one thing Pastor Chuck would never do, and the board would never approve, is to give money to clear people's debts. So that's important. Now, I remember specifically one time a woman who was a single mom, Uh, having coming on hard times and she had about $800 auto repair bill that was right down the the, in the wheelhouse of what would meet qualifications she went to church twice a week at Calvary she could tell you what she was what books Chuck was going through what God was speaking to her and she could prove she fell on hard times Chuck would require a specific need and you know he's not going to pay your mortgage every month he's not going to pay your electricity every month and he's definitely not going to clear your credit card but if you had a specific need and you could show the hardship of it and you're a part of the church Chuck was a very generous man and he was more than welcome to meet those needs. And we even had the boxes of food for people all the time. And so inevitably, I always want to give somebody something like that. You know, this is tricky because that year, of, that seven-year release is something, that, the perspective is that we're the lender, not the recipient. Even at Calvary Costa Mesa, when they gave it, they gave it. It's not like you borrowed money from Pastor Chuck and the board to pay that medical bill or that car repair. It was just given and released. And that's, that's how it should be. But they were to be the lender, not the borrower. You caught that. You'll be the head, not the tails, is how it's said in another place. You'll be the lender, not the borrower. You will reign over nations, but they won't reign over you. And of course, we know in the Proverbs that the debtor is a slave to the lender. And I'm not going to do a whole Bible study on why you avoid debt and try and stay out of debt tonight. I'll simply say there's some debts that seem to be fairly unavoidable. But really, if you're wise, I always measure by this. When you step into eternity, are you leaving bills for someone else to pay? That's the real acid test. Are you ready for eternity? Because if you're stepping into eternity and you're putting financial burden on, on creditors or upon your family and stuff like that, that doesn't glorify Jesus Christ. And that's not the gospel of Jesus Christ. And that's not the word of God in principle. And that's just that's a bad witness. I just believe that's an absolute bad witness. If you have, you die and you're in the red tonight, that's not good. You need to fix that immediately. If you step into eternity, your net worth should be equal or greater than anything that would be incurred upon people behind you. And that's just reasonable to love your neighbors yourself. Because if you love yourself, you wouldn't want someone to die and leave you with the debt that they left you. And now you're a co-signer because you're a relative on it. You'd want them to leave you a blessing so you can receive that blessing and be a blessing to others from that blessing. And believe me, in 33 years of ministry, I've seen a lot of people do both. And a lot of them being professing Christians, too. What I don't like about debt that you can't match with your net worth and your equity and your value is you're presuming God's going to give you tomorrow to clean it up. That's why I don't like debt. Because tomorrow's guaranteed to no one. So when you have debt that you kick down the road and you figure, well, we'll figure that out later like governments do, you just can't. But we're not governed by human governments. We're we're governed by a monarch, King Jesus, and he's our provider, and he takes care of us. So my standard of how I handle finances and how I lend and give away isn't based upon the banks or the government. It's based upon faith in God and love for humanity and being a faithful servant to take care of my family and to provide for my family spiritually and practically, and how can I bless other people. I want to be the lender, not the debtor. Don't you? It's like I told a young millennial years ago when they went out to do ministry at another church, and they ended up leaving that church. They're a worship leader, and they're, they're broke, and they're going home to their family in another state, and they basically couldn't do anything. And I was like, well, let me tell you something. When you have money, you have more options than when you don't. Life lesson. So work hard, save up some money, and you won't be at the mercy of people you don't like working for. Now, Debt comes around in many different ways. Other people can put you in debt. People can take advantage of you and put you in debt. People can leave you with a bill that you didn't know was your bill, and you can be hung out to dry. When my sister was divorced by her first second husband, he left her with a $40,000 debt that she didn't even know about in credit cards in a vehicle. And that was like a ball and chain attached to her. And one of the reasons she became homeless, because she's like, I can't even function society. I can't do this. I can't clear this debt. This is too much for me. I'm just going to go drink in a bottle and push a grocery card around for a couple of years and not worry about this. Because I don't want to think about it. And that's what that, you can have that happen. But really, If we're walking in the Spirit, ideally, no matter how poor we might be in Jesus' name, and we know some wonderful people that love Jesus that are very poor in other parts of the world, they have no opportunity like we have here. We are told with food and clothing we'll be content. And we are promised by Jesus that he he feeds the birds and he clothes the lilies of the field. So we can know that God's always going to promise us food and clothing. And we can know in every lesson that we go through, like Paul said, I can abound and I can abase. But whatever the case is, you think about like, you know it says those who are those who steal in Ephesians don't steal anymore work hard so we have something to give to someone else so really what God wants to get us from as a disciple of Jesus Christ is being enslaved to other people financially and owing to other people financially and living beyond our means financially to a place where we trust in the Lord as our heavenly Father, give us this day our daily bread. We live within our means. Godliness with contentment is great gain. And we're not only able to function, not be a burden on other society, expect anything from government because government takes. So even if they're giving you something, there's always a bait and switch on that one. You know that, right? Of course. There's a point where it's over and they own everything. Just at the Egyptians in the time of Pharaoh and Joseph and the famine. They gave everything for bread. And in the end, Pharaoh owned everything. We want to be the people that can be part of the solution. Now, we might be dependent for different reasons. So if you're dependent for various reasons, don't misunderstand me. There's times that you might just be in a situation that's the way it is. And bad men put good women in bad situations all the time. I've seen that in 33 years of ministry. Bosses take advantage of people and put them in difficult places. But truly, if you're trusting the Lord to give us our daily bread and to clothe us, clothe us like the lilies of the field, he's going to meet our needs. Godliness with contentment is great gain. We see in the early church that they ate their food with gladness and simplicity of heart. Solomon, who had all the wealth in the world, said, you know what? I'd rather eat at a table with a few herbs than at a fatted calf where there's contention. I'd rather take the piece of poverty over the contention of wealth. And more often than not, wealth produces contention for a lot of people because the Lord's not over it. But we want the Lord over all your wealth. We want you, the Holy Spirit wants you, the Word of God wants us in a time like this where there's more and more homeless people. There's more and more people with financial difficulties. There are more and more people in desperate straits all over this planet because of authoritarian, totalitarian governments that take, 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 moving us to the the opinion of the masses, which is right down the fast lane to the Antichrist and the end game. And until we get there, until Jesus comes back and splits them out of olives, there's going to be greater needs in humanity than there are to this day. And I, for one, like you, want to be a part of the solution, not the problem. And I want to be able to lose my wealth and give that wealth away to the benefit of other people in Jesus' name to get them from point A to point B with greater faith in Jesus than they had before I came into their life and became a blessing to them financially, and you do too. And if you don't, you should. That's how we want to be. We want to be the head, not the tail. We want to be the lender, not the debtor. And we want to reign because we're, we're reigned over by Jesus so we can be his ambassadors. And we want to bless people. And we don't give conditionally expecting anything. Human beings are not consumers. That's a problem with governments and, and people who are all about money. People are just consumers that you can take from. But the cross is about giving. Jesus on the cross is about giving. God sold the world. He gave. And so we're givers. And so we want to be able to sow bountifully, unconditionally in people's lives. And I wish there was a seven-year release. But it doesn't work that way. I wish it did. But we can live in the spirit of the seven-year release where when we give, don't expect anything back. And if someone takes it, make it an offering and let that be your release. That's your seven-year release. Someone ripped you off. Or uh, When I was speaking at Montebello the other night about these things, a, a young lady came up to me and she goes, that, I'm so comforted because I just got $1,000 stolen from me by these people. And I was like, make it an offering. Make that an offering to the Lord and forgive those people and make that an offering right now. And you'll wake up tomorrow and you're just going forward. The Lord has given. The Lord has taken. The Lord can replace that. You know, there's a story of Ahaziah when he uh, hired all those soldiers of the, to, uh, to fight with him from the northern kingdom. He was a Judah king. And he, he paid him 30,000 talents of silver. And the prophet goes, don't do that. You're not in fellowship with them. They're evil. You're good. Do not do that. And he says, well, what do I do with the 30,000 talents of silver? He's like, let it go. Is not the Lord able to replace the 30,000 talents of silver? Because the Lord owns the cattle on a thousand hills. He can replace it. So we're lenders and we're givers. We're not lending to make that way. And I'm talking in general. If you've got a business, you've got to figure that out with the Lord. But on this point, the idea is that the believer of Christ has is trusting the Lord and they have something to give. Look at the widow, okay? She put in a widow's mite. Now, those Pharisees put in tons of money and they stole that stuff from people and Jesus even said so. They put in all this wealth, but it was just their excess from what they took dishonestly from people. The widow was all in. I've had someone tell me years ago that the widow's mite was the the easiest thing to put in because she had nothing to lose. I'll tell you, it's the hardest thing to do. Because we'll hold on to that last piece of bread. When I'm traveling, I want that last little bit of water bottle in my backpack. When I'm traveling, I don't eat that last bit of uh, trail mix because I want to have that in case something goes wrong. That last mite is everything. You are totally, 100% dependent upon the Lord at that moment. So we want the people to be right side up, that we can bless others, and we can be part of the solution. What if Franklin Graham, in his ministry, thought it was a good idea to always go in debt to people? Where would the world be without Franklin Graham being so wise and fruitful with his ministries and sowing bountifully all over the world with everything that he does? See, we want to think like, let's be like Franklin Graham. We're living wisely, frugally, and generously. And the release. If you are in debt, you can pray that the Lord will help you be released of that debt. And if you are in debt, let's just say that's one of your number one objectives right now, is to figure out how to clear those debts and there's all kinds of resources out there that can help you figure that out. But uh, we're in a time when less is more and simplicity over complexity. That's how we want to live because we're, we're moving toward things that are massive and so far reaching our generation. And in studying World War I and other things like this that radically affect the world, just one little thing can happen. And in a matter of two or three months, the whole world's at war and it all changes for everybody. You just don't know with all the uncertainty in our planet right now, with all these strange things going on, all these biblical things, you just don't know what's that one thing like Sarajevo and the assassination of uh, Archduke Ferdinand. You just don't know what's gonna move all these things in a way toward this end game that the Bible clearly tells us. So what we want to do is be ready for that day. I want to say, oh, no, it's the, it's the, it's the day of the Lord. It's tomorrow, and I want to try and give everything away. I'm like, today is the day of the Lord, and we want to be generous people right now and not upside down, right side up, and we don't want to be takers. We want to be givers. Follow me? Amen. All right, and we are as a whole. But clean, less, just, man, I have to share this. Nicholas and Alexander, the last czar of Russia, they had all this incredible wealth that he had inherited. She was, of course, a Prussian uh, princess. And their reign was such a hard time. I told you about Rasputnik and all that happened there. But in the last year that they were alive, after he had to advocate the throne and the Bolsheviks, the Soviets, came to power... They had, they had hundreds and hundreds of servants. They had yachts. They had all these things they ever did. And, the, and they had faith in Jesus. And they were, She was deeply religious. And in the last year of their life, while they got moved around by the Bolsheviks, they had less and less and less and less and less. And all they had on the last day of their life, before the Bolsheviks murdered them all in that basement in Siberia, all they had was their entire family together, their Bibles, and their faith. God stripped them of all the wealth of Russia, this one-sixth the size of planet Earth, bigger than the moon, Russia, all that wealth. 300 years of Romanov rule, and they had all that wealth, and he stripped them of all of it in the last year of their life and prepared them for eternity. And then they all died together, being assassinated by the Bolsheviks in that basement. And I thought, you know, as much as that's a tragedy, and there's so many books and movies on them, the last czar, really, though, because of their faith in Jesus, he removed everything that distracted them from Jesus for the day of the Lord. And in fact, when they were gunned down in that basement, they were more ready for the day of Christ Jesus than any other day they ever lived. And that's something to think about. Lend it, give it away, release it. If someone comes to you, dude, I just can't. It's all good. It's the Lord's. Let it go. And be upside, right side up, not upside down. Now, verse 7 reads this. There, if there is among you a poor man of your brethren with any of the gates in your land, which the Lord your God has given you, you shall not harden your heart nor shut up your hand from your poor brother, but you shall open your hand wide to him and willingly lend him sufficient for his need, whatever he needs. Beware lest there be a a wicked thought in your heart saying "Mm, the seventh year, the year of release is at hand and your eye be evil against your poor brother and you give him nothing and he cry out to the Lord against you and it becomes sin among you. You shall surely give to him and your heart shall not be grieved when you give it to him because for this thing, the Lord your God will bless you in all the works in all of which you put your hand. For the poor will never cease from the land. Therefore, I command you, saying, you shall open uh, your hand wide to your brother, to your poor and your needy in your land. Of course, Jesus said the poor you always have with you, too. So he's just quoting the law when he said that. The first cluster of verses there, the one through six, is the Lord's release. Releasing. And letting go, which he's done for us and all that and what we want to be, the head, not the tail, the lender, not the borrower, because we can release and we're just a conduit by which the Lord works. But the second one is to open your hand wide. So we have the Lord's release in those first few verses and now we have open your hand wide and it says it twice. You shall open your hand wide, verse 8, and willingly lend sufficient for his needs, whatever he needs. Then it says in the last verse there, verse 11, you shall open your hand wide to your brother, to your poor and your needy in your land. Now, of course, we all have common sense, and this doesn't obligate us to pull our money out of the bank and go down there to where people home, you see homeless people and give them all your wealth. It's, it's not like that at all. But there's wisdom because we do need frugality in how we manage our finances, but we need faith before frugality, and we need freedom to release it. And there's a balance, but you can never go wrong when you're a giver as opposed to a taker. So just keep that in mind. But the idea is that your hand is open wide to the poor and needy. In other words, that we have a generous disposition. We are seeing more homeless people, not less, all over America. And we will see more homeless people, not less, all over America for at least a foreseeable future. And you can't, you can't, they're human beings. You know, the church is quick to say all lives matter, and they do including those lives. And it's just so important that we look at the poor and the needy and you think, I don't need to know how this woman got in this place where she's homeless like this, or this man, or this family. That's just the way it is. Think how humbling it is to stand outside a target with your wife and two kids with a sign saying, can you help? Think what had to happen in your life to bring you to a place of of such self-humiliation publicly that way. And have empathy. And have a disposition for generosity. If you want to give something to someone at the freeway sign with a sign veteran or just need help, whatever, do it. If you don't, don't. But at least if you don't, don't, don't pass a quick judgment on them. We have no idea how they ended up there. And we've ended up in a lot of bad situations in Jesus' name that he's bailed us out of unconditioned with his blood, by his spirit, and according to his grace and mercy. We just That's a real gauge. You just can never look at anyone. You just, you just, we just are not judging jury of anybody. Jesus died for the world. And we have to be empathetic and compassionate toward people. And the moment you lose empathy for the homeless, for the immigrant, illegal, legal, whatever, you, you lose a part of your humanity. And you lose a part of your humility. And you lose a part of your authority that comes from humility with love for humanity. And this is so important and so critical. When we step into eternity and you stand before the Lord, I, I want the Lord to be able to show you that this ministry and this pulpit taught you to love everybody unconditionally as he did. And you were taught to be generous and to, to just be moved with compassion upon people. You know, and if you're quick, to if you look at someone and you immediately feel tears, good for you. You should feel tears. Because there's a story behind everybody. I like to have cash on hand. Not, it can be all variable increments. I just want to bless people. Johnny Appleseed sowed apple seeds literally in American history. I want to be like Johnny Appleseed with how I feel toward people. And Jesus said when you give a child a cup of cold water in his name, there's no loss and that's an eternal reward. So you want to drive by that person? Hey, Jesus loves you. Have a great day. Then do it. And if you don't, you don't have to. But I'll tell you, Solomon said, "Cast your bread upon many waters, for you don't know where it's going to come back to you from." I just want—I just want to be a blessing. I just want—I want to be a blessing. And you can never outgive the Lord. Open your hand wide, and if your hands aren't open wide, and you don't have the resources open wide, at least let your heart be open wide and pronounce blessings on those people when you see them, and 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 empathy and compassion. I'm not going to fix an open border. I'm not going to fix how we accept legal or illegal immigrants i can't fix the middle east and neither can you but i keep my heart tender before jesus christ and have empathy and love for everybody on this planet that is something we can do because all the abundance of a heart does a man or woman speak and we're to keep our heart with all diligence and keep it pure and right with the lord and the first commandment is you'll love the lord your god with all your heart soul mind and strength and the second is you'll love your neighbor as yourself as I mentioned to you when we released Money in Uganda recently to the orphanage back there, it was a hard process, this particular one, and Sam was involved with me on this, Pastor Sam. And I was like, man, this is hard. I'm, not, I'm just not, I'm like, but Lord, Lord, I really put my heart to do it, because it was kind of out of like, there's so many scams out there, right? We're all getting scammed, the text, the email, it's endless for all of us. It's identity theft, check fraud, I've had it all in just the last six months, okay? And so you tend to be, but you can't let that keep you from being generous, and this is that that moment where I was like, "Lord, this is going to be complicated. This is not easy. This isn't like go missions or a PayPal thing. This is, this is a complicated process. I'm just not sure." Well, we'll do a test run. The Lord's like, "I'm like, I don't know. It's gonna. It's a lot of. I'm not sure. We, this is hard. I'm not sure we can find a way." And that's where the Lord just spoke to me immediately. Like, if you were the one getting it, you'd find a way. If you were the one that this money is being sent to, you would find a way to get that money. So I'm asking you to do for them what you would want done for you. Find a way, get them the money, and no excuses. You shall love your neighbor as you love yourself. So love them the way you'd want someone to love you. What a revelation for me, and I share it with you. Be as eager to give it as you are to get it, and then you'll really have your life like to the rich young ruler. Leave it all behind. Come follow me, and I'll show you eternal life. I'll show you abundant life. I'll show you joy unspeakable. Come on. But he went away sad because the Lord didn't own his possessions. Those possessions owned him. He didn't even own those possessions, they owned him. So, open hands, faith, generosity, generous disposition. We've received graciously, we can share graciously. You know, in 2 Corinthians, when Paul was writing them in that context of uh, their giving and whatnot, he said this, and I want to read this to you. Second Corinthians 8, talking about the Macedonians who gave in poverty. So you talk, talk about being generous or the widow's last night. It says, moreover, brethren, we make known to you the grace of God bestowed upon the churches of Macedonia, that in a great trial of affliction, the abundance of their joy and their deep poverty abounded in the riches of their liberality. For I bear witness that according to our ability, yes, and beyond their ability, they were freely, willingly imploring us with much urgency that we'd receive the gift and the fellowship of the ministry to the saints. And not only as we hope, but they first gave themselves to the Lord and then to us by the will of God. Yeah, there it is. Paul says the reason they could have a generous open hand helping other believers in Jerusalem from their own poverty is because they first gave themselves to the Lord. See, if your heart is open to the Lord, your heart's going to be open to humanity. That's the bottom line. And he tells us, don't do it begrudgingly. He says, and your eye be evil against the poor. Don't let our eyes be evil against the poor. Like, you can't, like, and you can't give it begrudgingly. You just like, either give it joyfully, or if you feel like you're still supposed to give it, it's begrudging. You've got to ask the Lord to help you to let it go. But you can't give it begrudgingly. There's no blessing in there. The Bible makes that clear. You shall open your hand wide and willingly, sufficiently. This is the context of the law for Israel in that nation. And that principle comes forth in the New Testament. Not a have to, a get to. These aren't the signs of our covenant. These are the principles of a spirit-filled life as we look to the Lord as our provider for all things. When I look at Franklin Graham, again, and his ministry, Samaritan's Purse, and I think about what they do for people over the world unconditionally, I am inspired. But that just didn't happen. He went through so many lessons to be a person that God could entrust all that wealth to, that he could redistribute that wealth. And I want to be a wealth conduit, and so do you. I don't want it to kink. I don't want it to kink on my watch or yours. I want it just to keep moving and moving. That's how I want it to be, and that's how you want it to be. Hands open wide because our hearts open wide. And it says, for this thing, the Lord your God will bless you in all the works of your hand. God is so faithful. I've told you all my, most of my stories, I've shared them in the last few weeks about how God has just provided so many different things in so many different ways and how he does it. It's amazing. It's beautiful. And I got those stories. They're incredible stories. I love to share those stories. But as I told Hector Mora one time when he was sharing one of my stories in his sermon... I go, hey, it's better if you share yours. Go get your own. <laughs> it's like when I share Pastor Chuck's story, it's not the same. Like, well, remember what happened to Pastor Chuck? It's like, dude, he had his stories. It's his story. Tell us your story. You need to tell us as a mediator about pa- Pastor Chuck's faith. We can listen to that on the Chuck 2000 series. We want to hear about your faith, what God taught you when you did these things. And you need your story. So when you tell your kids, when you rise up and you talk about the Lord and you go out in the fields and you go and you look at the Edomites how they live and the Midianites how they live and they, they, you contrast their pagan altars to your faith in God and you come home and you say, Hero Israel, the Lord our God is one. And you will tell them how God has provided for you, how he gave you wells you didn't dig, how he gave you a vineyard you didn't plant, and how he protected you from these people and those people. And he promises to always protect us and always meet our needs. That's the story we get that we can pass on to our children We're givers, not takers. Because God gave his son so we could receive his son to be saved by grace through faith in him. World religions demand things of people. They demand things and suppress people and control people. Whom the son sets free is free indeed. Yes, we'll open our hearts, always an open heart, always a great legacy. Then the last part, The Lord will bless you. Then the Lord will bless you. So bless us when we are the ones releasing on the the Lord's release. He will bless us when our hearts are open and our hands are open. And the last one is, if your brother a Hebrew man, verse 12, or Hebrew woman is sold to you and serves you six years, then in the seventh year you shall let him go free from you. And when you send him away, when you send him away free from you, you shall not let him go away empty-handed. You shall supply him liberally from your flock and from your threshing floor and from your winepress. From what the Lord your God has blessed you with, you shall give to him. You shall remember that you were a slave in the land of Egypt. And the Lord your God redeemed you. Therefore, I command you this day, and if it happens that he says to you, I will not go away from you because he loves you in your house and she prospered with you. Then you shall take an owl, that's that pointy thing, and you shall um, thrust it through his ear like an earring on the door and he shall be your servant forever. Also to your female servant, you shall do Likewise. It shall not seem hard to you when you send him away free from you, for he's been worth a double higher servant in serving you six years. Then the Lord your God will bless you in all that you do. So this third one is that you will not let them go away empty-handed. When people walk away from our life, they should not be walking away empty-handed. They should be more loving, they should be more wise, they should be more giving, and they should be blessed because we were in their lives. We will not send them away empty-handed. If they serve you at the table when you're at a restaurant, they should not go away empty-handed. If they did contract work for you, they should not go away empty-handed. If they did a bad job, still they should not be sent away empty-handed. We should not send people away empty-handed. Not your landscaper, just not anyone. When you have people that work for you and they're good workers... Sometimes they want to leave and they start a business right down the street that's in competition with your business. I mentioned this Tuesday night. This is notorious for the surfboard industry. Good shapers teach new guy, other guys how to shape. They're like their mentor. Uh, and then they they go down the street and they start shaping boards and they compete against the guy that just taught them how to make boards. It's really common. We talk about in ministry. Sometimes people raise up pastors and they split the church and he goes down the street this way or that way. I mean, we had a congregation at Calvary Costa Mesa of hundreds of people. Pastor Chuck blessed us to go 2.1 miles down the street. And he's like, go for it, Joey. And uh, we put Gary Beeler in charge. Nobody left. They weren't meant to leave or very few people left. We didn't solicit anyone. And it all worked out well. But that's kind of how it works out. I mean, Pastor Chuck in Calvary Costa Mesa was a tent in 1971 over there, where the, all the complex is, and that was the only Calvary Chapel. I believe there's at least 50 Calvary Chapels in Orange County. Most of those Calvary Chapels were people that went out and reproduced, and Chuck sent them away blessed. He taught them lessons of how to serve people and how to lose their life and bless other people. He taught me those lessons. You see. We need to treat people like we want to be treated. And if you have employees, you need to treat them like you want to be treated. Now, God's going to give us wisdom. But in the end, if people leave, if they move on, we want to bless them. We want to send them out with a blessing. And I talked about this Tuesday night, that most of my life I've been sent out with a blessing when I've moved on. When I left Calvary Vista to go to Virginia Beach to start the church, Brian Brodison gave me a very generous blessing when we went out. In fact, actually, he released me uh, of a debt, almost 10 grand. Because after we lost our first son in childbirth through the Medicare, uh, we had Medi-Cal. It wasn't necessarily their fault, it's just the way it was with the Lord. But we lost our son and we were just, it was so devastating. So then the next time Jennifer was pregnant with Hannah, uh, we made sure we had a really good doctor and really good insurance, Dr. Eisenhower, who delivered both Hannah and Luke. They were both born in California. their two were born in Virginia, Leah and uh, Timmy. But we had debt, and we were going to go to Virginia Beach to plant that church, but I was not going to leave for Virginia Beach until that debt was cleared. And Brian called me in his office, and he released me from that debt on behalf of that church. Uh, on behalf of what we did, he released that so we could go to Virginia and start the church. He took the funds from the church to release us from that debt, and then he gave us enough blessing to get out the gate and get started with the church in Virginia Beach. He sent me out with a blessing. You know, I was the first person that Brian Broson ever sent out to start a church. You know how many hundreds of people have gone out to start churches 30, 30 years later in that journey of Brian Burson? I don't agree with everything Brian Burson does, and you don't agree with everything I do, right? Well, I'll tell you what, he's been a true friend my whole life, and I'm always gonna stand by Brian's side. I was the first one to go. Me and her, a dog, Hannah at nine months. He cleared our medical debt. And he gave us enough money to get out there for 100 days and get going with a step of faith. And we've been doing pretty good ever since. Chuck gave me a blessing when we left Big Calvary to come here. You bless people. You send them out with a blessing. Even if they're below average, just give them a blessing because God died for us on the cross because we're very below average. We're all saved by grace, man. Show grace. Show mercy. Treat those people with respect and dignity. Bless them. Not because of the best employee, bless them because God loves them. And if they're a great employee, bless them all the more. For how we treat others is how we're going to stand before the Lord. And the kindness and the empathy and the love and the blessings that we bestowed upon other people, He will bless us with. Right here, those blessings are pronounced. I'm not believing in God for great blessings so I can accumulate more wealth on earth. I'm, I'm believing in God for great blessings so I can sow more wealth on earth for all eternity. And that's how we need to be. I'm believing in a blessing God. I'm believing in a blessing God for lots of things that are way beyond me. For it was William Carey, the great missionary, who said, we need to believe God for things that are so beyond us that only God can do it. It was he who said, attempt great things for God and expect great things from God. And that's how I want to live in Orange County. That's how we want to live in Orange County. So we want to bless people. When they go, let them go. Oh, dude, you left me hanging. That's all right. Look, God bless you. The Lord bless you. In the name of the Father, Son, Holy Spirit, Lord bless you on your journey. Pronounce the blessings like the Levites. The Lord bless thee. The Lord keep thee. Be gracious unto thee. Make his face shine upon thee. Pronounce the blessings when they're leaving. If they're taking half the flock, pronounce the blessings. God can replace the flock, but not your evil heart or your evil eye. Just give it to the Lord and pronounce the blessings and know that God's going to bless you for all eternity for those things. I'm really glad. When we started Deuteronomy, I did not anticipate back-to-back topical studies on sowing and giving and sharing, but we go verse by verse for the whole counsel of God, right? I'm really enjoying these studies because they're really speaking to me and affirming who we are, that we're in the right direction. You're going in the right direction. We're going in the right direction. I know my, I'm going in the right direction and I'm teaching my family that's coming behind me to go in the right direction as well. See, God so loved the world that gave his son, Jesus Christ. God is a giver. And if we just let him really work on our life, he's going to work through us to bless others. And in losing our life and letting go, he can fill us with the things he really has. And we can be part of all the solutions and all the good things for all eternity. Most people waste their life. You understand that, right, worship generation? Most people waste their life and no one gets a second chance. And that's why Jesus said, if you come after me, deny yourself, pick up your cross, and be my disciple. You can't love anyone or anything more than me, but if you truly love me, you'll know that this is your purpose in being created, this is your universe, this is everything for you. And if you will fully trust me, I will do things in your life. In fact, he says in John 14, you'll do greater things than I've even done. So I'm thinking with maybe 20 years before I get to 80, I want to see God do greater things. He said, you'll do greater things than what I've done. Jesus said we can do greater things than what he did if we believe. I've not done greater things than Jesus has done. But if I can get there before I step into eternity, that's definitely the direction I'm going right now. And I want us going collectively together.